You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We concluded a sermon series last week uh, that we had done through this summer called Sunday Classics, and we're going to start a new series next week uh, dealing with the church. And uh, so we've kind of got a week in between, and I wanted to bring a message today uh, really just kind of talking about our need to uh, connect with God and to connect with one another. Uh, of course, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11, the 9-11 attacks. And uh, if you, uh, I talked to my daughter a little bit about that, and she's 13, and, and she doesn't really remember it. Um, some of you, there you go. Some of you just got the math. Um, I see some of you like, carry the one. Okay. Um, but if you were alive during that time, and we've seen it around the media, on social media, people recollect where they were, what they were doing. And uh, for my family, it was, it was an interesting time. It was a time of transition. We had lived on the East Coast in Delaware. And so we were about an hour and a half from Washington, D.C., three or four hours from New York City, uh, had frequented those places, and uh, even had gone to camp uh, with a, a church that was right uh, next to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 crashed. But on September 1st of 2011, I started work at a new church in East Texas. We had moved uh, just the week before from Delaware on the East Coast to East Texas. And so we had moved away from that. And then, like most Americans, watched that morning on television as the, the events of September 11th unfolded. And it was very surreal because here we were in this new community, this new place, watching places that we had been familiar with uh, endure these attacks. And we lived in a place called Sulphur Springs, Texas. Now, I don't talk about it a lot. My time in Texas was very traumatic, and um, it wasn't really traumatic, but... Uh, I, as a Coloradoan, uh, as, as a person that grew up here, you sort of have a, a relationship with people from Texas that isn't always um, kind. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. Um, like, this is what I remember. This is my first interaction of, uh, this wasn't in my notes, but my first ever remember meeting anybody from Texas. I remember I'm on a ski lift. I'm about 10 years old. And uh, I was living in Steamboat at the time, and, and we're going up this lift, and, and I remember that there was this guy next to me, and he goes, where are y'all from? And I was like, right here. That's where I all from. And I remember that he had like this ski suit on. It was like brand new and these rental skis, and, and I thought, I wonder what's going to happen when we get to the top. Well, what happened when we got to the top was he did not know how to get off the lift. And so he started grabbing for things to support himself, and he thought I was one of those things. <laughs> and now I'm falling, and I don't fall, man. I know what I'm doing. And so that was the first time where I was like, Texans. 
Now, if you're from Texas, I don't love Texas. But I do love a Texan. For the last 29 years, um, my wife and I have been uh, married and in love, and she is from Sulphur Springs, Texas. And uh, so we moved back to her hometown, her home church. And uh, it, was, it was interesting for me. Um, but it was interesting, too, I was reflecting on that this week, that the events of September 11th happening as we moved into this community provided the opportunity to kind of begin to be a part of the community in a really uh, deeper way. I remember the first high school football game that I went to was, was after those attacks and, and the, the things that took place there uh, that the community was involved in. I worked in a church there and was involved with the schools and, and different areas. And, and, I, and I really do, I, I grew to love that town and those people in a, in a real special way. Not just because my wife was there and, and, and all my in-laws, many of my in-laws are still there. Uh, but I really, I did enjoy the town. My children, uh, my two older children went to elementary school there and, and really kind of grew up there. And it was a great place for our kids. And, and it was a really fruitful time for ministry. But it's interesting being a part of a community. And Colorado, Denver, metro area is an interesting place, right? Because a lot of people are from somewhere else. And sometimes if we're not careful, we lose that sense of community. I referenced it today, the different jerseys, and oftentimes that's because people hail from different places. Sometimes it's because people just get messed up in their life and they become fans of the wrong team, but sometimes, I won't say anything more about football, I promise, today. today. But community is important, and I, I want to use the word connection today. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 133 in verse 1. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, to be connected. Now, first and foremost, as, as people, we have a great need to be connected to God, whether we realize it or not. And Jesus said this in John chapter 15. I want to read a few verses where he talks about the connection that we need to have with God. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it should be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be 
my disciples. Now there's a lot here, but there's a few things I want us to, to kind of look at as we think about this idea of abiding in Christ. First of all, uh, in verse number three, he said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That's important because in verse two, he said this, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, we're not talking about a salvation issue here. It's not like, well, if, if this happens, then, then God's just going to take you away. But it is the idea that we are, we are, we are cut off or uh, we're not abiding in Christ. And then he says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And so we have this idea of, of pruning, and we'll talk about that a little more here in a moment. But the issue is the relationship that we have with the vine or with Jesus. He says that we need to abide in him. And he says that without me, you can do nothing. Listen, that's, that's a, a lesson that I think, at least personally, I have to learn and sometimes I have to relearn. Because I, I, I can think, if I'm not careful, that on my own I might accomplish something. I might could do something. I might could be okay. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, my job is to abide in him because without him I can do nothing. The goal for us is to bear fruit. And I want to talk about this just for a little bit, uh, for a moment. What does it mean to bear fruit? And I want to give you just a few things. Uh, the first one is found in Galatians chapter 5. We've, you may have heard this passage before, but it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that the Holy Spirit is working to produce in our lives. And so Jesus said, you've got to abide in me, and you need to produce fruit. And the first thing is that God will be producing fruit in us. This is not a one-time deal. In my home, or in my backyard, we have a crabapple tree. Now the interesting thing, and I don't know if I don't know anything about plants. All right, I may have told you this before. Like my wife, she's got house plants and a garden, and if she says water, I water. If she says build the garden, I build the garden. But I am, I just do what she tells me to do. Kind of a metaphor for everything else in our life too, sure, but. Specifically in this one area, we have a crab apple tree. It only produces fruit every other year. I don't know if all crab apple trees are that way. I don't know if we just have kind of a, a deficient crab apple tree, uh, you know, special. I don't know what it is. That's the crab apple tree we've got. And uh, we've had little kids over to our house several times in the last couple of weeks. I love giving, look, apple, yeah, take a bite. Um, they make really cute faces, you know, and you probably ruin them for fruit for the rest of their life. But you know what that crabapple tree does do every other year? Produces fruit. It doesn't go like, hey, I'm a crabapple tree. 
I got you those crab apples like four or five years ago, and that's all you get. That's the Holy Spirit in us. And sometimes I don't think we understand that. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those things should be developing and growing in our lives all of the time. Let me spell that out for you another way. That means the longer you follow Jesus, the more loving you ought to become. The kinder you ought to become. The more patient. Sometimes I think we think about it as like merit badges or something. Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm more loving than I used to be, so I've, I've gotten there. That's not what it is. It's the production of fruit. And when we abide in Jesus, he is desiring to produce fruit in us. It's not just the fruit of the Spirit, but our very praise is fruit. Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We, we ought to, the Holy Spirit ought to be working to produce fruit in us. We give back to God our praises to him. And then finally, there is fruit as it relates to one another. The salvation of others. John chapter four, in verse 34, Jesus talking to his followers said this, the food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there is still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reap. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And so Jesus uses this metaphor of sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. But the, the image there is the idea of seeing others come to Jesus Christ. And so this is fruit that we're to bear in our lives as well. We, God is to work in us to make us more in the image of Christ, that these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace would, would be manifest. We return praise to God through the fruit of our lips, but then also in our relationship with others. We should be witnesses to others. We should be talking to other people about what Jesus is doing in our life and what he has done for us and see them come to know Christ as well. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I think sometimes we stop practicing and practically believing what Jesus said. We think, well, is the harvest great? I mean, doesn't it seem like our world is turning from, from God and the things of God? And, and doesn't it seem like, like this world is farther from God than it's ever been? Is the, is the 
harvest really great? But I would submit to you that we have a tremendous opportunity as the church of Jesus Christ. Because we have the opportunity, when it is the darkest, that is when light can shine the brightest. Listen, I've told you this, I've said this before from the pulpit, but you know, you don't have to work really hard to stand out as a Christian in your job in most places. I mean, if you talk like a Christian and you act like a Christian and you work like a Christian and you hold Christian values, values that, that Jesus Christ would have us to do, there's a good chance you're gonna stand out from the crowd. And that gives us an opportunity to share Jesus with others. And, and so we ought to be about producing fruit. How is it that we abide? That word abide means this, to keep in fellowship with Christ so his life can work in us and through us. To keep in fellowship. Fellowship is a word that we, it's kind of a, a church word or a Bible word that's used. Um, I've heard preachers say that it's two fellas in the same ship. Um, which does give us uh, some, uh, some imagery there. I, I was thinking about that a little bit. Um, one of the things I love to do, I love being in a canoe. I don't know what it is. When uh, uh, my mom lived down in Texas with us for a while, she lived out on a lake, and she bought a paddle boat. I hate paddle boats. I'm just telling you. They're square. Like, that is not a good design for a boat. You're paddling, your legs hurt, you're going nowhere. But a canoe's efficient. It's pointed, it's thin. You put the paddle in, you paddle, man, you go. Here's the thing about a paddle boat, though. It's pretty stable. You can get up, move from one seat to the other. You can even kind of shake it. You got to work really hard to flip a paddle boat. Not true with a canoe. I was in Texas, we, I was a youth pastor, and uh, I was thinking about things to do with our teens, and so somebody said, you ought to take them up to Oklahoma. It, wasn't, it was an hour, hour and a half from where we lived, and there's this place, and you can rent canoes, and you can canoe down the river, and I thought, well, that's great. And so we did that. And uh, we got into the, we got the canoes, and they took us down to the spot, and they put us in, and they said, it'll take you a couple hours to get to this spot, it's like the third bridge or whatever, and that's where you want to pull out. And I was like, okay, this is great. I talked to a couple of my workers. I said, okay, you know, who's going to be in the back? We got to kind of herd these cats along, and, and it, it'll be great. And as we were pulling the canoes into the water, I heard this like beeping, like this blaring kind of noise. It turned out that was the alarm that they sounded when they opened the gates to the dam and uh, sent out more water. They let our crew out, and then when they checked the water, they realized that they shouldn't rent any more canoes to anybody that day. Um, we were the only group that went down. Um, it, it, was, it was exciting. <laughs> and I was in the canoe with my wife, and... Um, the first section was fairly challenging and some rocks and, and some drop-offs. And we went about uh, just a couple hundred yards and there was a drop-off and we were not perfectly straight as we went over and we got sideways and we tipped. 
And my wife went underwater, and I went underwater, and I popped back up, and she popped back up. And I very distinctly burned into my memory is the look on her face when she popped back up. It was surprise. There was definitely a bit of surprise. Water was cold. Um, anger, I would say there was anger there. Disappointment. You know how when your, your significant other looks at you and they're just in love? This was the opposite of that. You know? Like, how could you do this to me? And I'm like, I didn't do this to us. Like, the river did this to us. We're two fellas in the same ship. Because if you're in a canoe, like you can't flip the canoe and one person not flip and stay dry, right? That's not how it works. And fellowship is an intimate relationship that we have with each other. And as followers of Jesus, we have the ability to have a deeper relationship because we could be friends, we could share common interests, we could just like uh, the personality of the other person. But as, as followers of Jesus, we, sh we share the same father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna explore that more over the next couple of weeks as we talk about the church. But fellowship we first need to have fellowship with Jesus. We need to abide in him. And so real quickly, just a couple of things. We already read John 15, four, but abiding branches, those who are in fellowship with Jesus produce fruit. Not only that, but according to John 15, two, abiding branches experience pruning. Now that's not fun, right? But, to produce more fruit, sometimes a branch has to be pruned of things that shouldn't be there that aren't producing fruit. And that's a work that God does in our life. Abiding branches also have their prayers answered. Jesus said in John 15 and verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Man, I want God to hear me when I pray. And I'd love it if God would move and answer when I pray, right? And part of that is when we're in fellowship with him, when we're abiding in him. And then Jesus said this in John chapter 15 and verse number nine. He said, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abiding branches have a deepening love with God. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And so Jesus said, listen, you, you will abide in me and just as I love the Father, have a relationship with the Father, so too you'll have a love for me and I for you and, and that love will deepen. And then Jesus said this in verse number 12 and it takes us to our next step in the message this morning. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, as Jesus speaks, 
It is all about the relationship between Jesus the vine and us as his followers as branches. We abide, he prunes, he loves us, we produce fruit, all of these things. And then in verse 12 he says, love one another. Because a vine has more than one branch. If you have a tree and it only has one branch, that is not a healthy tree. You with me? I mean, you got big branches and branches off of that. That's how a tree's supposed to look. And the tree, those branches are in relationship to one another. And we cannot be in proper relationship with God if we're not in proper relationship with one another. Our love for God, our relationship with God is demonstrated in our relationship with one another. I mean, as God develops the fruit of the Spirit in our life and we become more loving, how do we demonstrate that? We demonstrate that with one another. How do we, how do we demonstrate that we are more patient? We demonstrate that in our patience with one another, in our kindness with one another. And so there is, a, there is a, a tangible relationship between our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And so we want to look at 1 John as well this morning. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, John says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. And so we want to get to an understanding of what it means to have fellowship, to abide in Christ, but also understand how that has an effect on our relationship with others. We also need to abide or have fellowship with one another. And just a couple of things about that. Number one, fellowship is knowledge of one another. John 15, Jesus Speaking said this, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, when you think about that verse right there, that seems a little self-serving, right? Hey, if you do whatever I tell you, you can be my friend. But Jesus explains this. First of all, he's God, right? So it makes sense that we would do what he commands us. But then he, he gives us a little more insight into this relationship. He says, no longer do I call you servants. Well, who's obeying the commands of the master? That's a servant, right? But he didn't say, you're my servant if you do what I command you. He said, you're my friend. And he said, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now this is a fine balance right here. My wife and I have three children, and I believe that God has given us a, a good mix to be parents to our children. But I approach things a little bit differently than my wife does. My wife is loving and patient and kind. The fruit of the Spirit is abounding in her. 
you know, kids go through that stage. It starts, I don't know, maybe a year and a half, two years of age. They start asking why. My oldest is 26. I don't know when they stop asking that, but it hasn't happened yet. Why? Well, I like the answer that I heard sometimes as a kid because I said so. Just do what I tell you to do, all right? I'm the dad, you're the kid, I'm smarter than you, I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, just do what I say. That isn't always satisfactory for our kids. It's not always satisfactory to us. And as parents, we do have an obligation to explain to our children. My wife was great at that. Now listen, honey, you know, if you put your hand on the stove and you see the flame, it's going to burn you. I'm like, oh, they'll learn. You know, I mean, again, different parenting styles. Not really. But you know what Jesus said? He said, I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you because you're not just my servant. You're my friend. As the Father has revealed his plans to me, as the Father reveals his precepts to me, in the same way, I'm going to reveal them to you. Because you're not just my servant, you're my friend. And so as we are in fellowship with one another, we need to share knowledge with one another. We need, to, we need to be vulnerable enough to share what's going on in our lives with one another. Man, for a lot of us, we've got small talk down. How's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Great. Did you talk to Bob today? Oh, yeah. Everything's great. We don't know anything. But have you, are you, do you have enough courage to really share with somebody how you are doing? What's going on in your life? Are you patient enough to stop and really care what's going on in somebody else's life? Because that is part of fellowship. Fellowship is sharing in our hurts. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? A brother is born for adversity. Now I have two brothers and they would probably say that I caused them much adversity. But when the chips are down and things are rough and we need a friend, we need someone there for us, that is when true friendship or brotherhood is shown. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 put it this way. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now that's great, isn't it? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows his power over sin and death. That shows the victory that we can have over, over sin and things that oppress us in our life. It shows us the victory that we can have in having eternal life in Christ. And so he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. What? Hurt? Hold on. I don't want that. I don't want the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. 
But it is in difficulties that we are often bound together with someone in a deeper way. It is why September 11th, 2001 is such a powerful date in the lives of our country because I didn't, I've met a few people that were near ground zero or uh, even in the World Trade Center that day, but I didn't know anybody that died that day. And yet collectively as a country, we share in the suffering, in the grief. And that's one of the things, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friendship relationship, but when you go through difficulties and you go through trials, suffering and difficulty will either split you apart or it will bind you together. When I think about the difficult times in my life and I think about the people that were there for me, those are the people that I think of as my closest friends. The people that when I was down were there to help me and not kick me, those are the people that I know really care about me. And so fellowship is for sharing in hurts. Fellowship is encouraging each other. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider one another or think about one another. Give some thought to one another. See, we all consider ourselves. You got up this morning and you immediately start to attend to your needs. I've got to clean up. I've got to get dressed. What am I going to wear? Oh, I'm hungry. I need to eat. We're concerned. We consider ourselves all the time. Man, I'm tired. I need a a few more hours of sleep or whatever it is. But Hebrews says, let us consider one another. Let us think about one another in order to stir up love and good works. What could I do to show love for you? What could I do to help that person be better? That's the idea that is here in Hebrews chapter 10. How can we consider one another to stir up love and good works? How often do we fail at that? Oh, we'll consider other people. Did you hear what he did? What in the world? What a fool, what a jerk, what a whatever. But that's not what Hebrews is talking about. It's thinking about how we can love, thinking about how we can encourage. And then he says this, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging, building up one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That phrase right there, the day is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. So our habit ought to be considering one another more and more and more. It ought to be encouraging one another more and more and more. It ought to be faithful to gathering together more and more, 
Not, well, I did my time, you know, I've invested in some people, but now I'm just going to focus on me. That's not what Hebrews 10 says. It says, so much the more as you see the day approaching, you ought to be doing these things. What are these things? Considering one another, how to love them, how to stir up good works in them, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. These things ought to be happening more and more, not less and less. Just like the fruit of the Spirit ought to be growing more and more in us, so we ought to be growing in our ability to encourage and love one another. This is what God has called us to. And, and I want you to understand the importance of fellowship. Sometimes when we think about that, you know, we'll say, oh, we're going to have a fellowship. And that just means like food, right? That's what people think. And sometimes at Belmont Church, we have fellowship that is food. It's great. I'm not going to apologize for it. But fellowship isn't just food. Fellowship is being together. You know, one of the reasons we do that is so that we can spend time together, so that we can love one another and encourage one another to good works. We can exhort one another. We don't just have food because, you know, I want to show off whatever. I don't know. I don't know why else you would do it. And so we do things. And so one of the things we're doing today is rolling out our connection groups. And so I wanted to spend the bulk of this service, this sermon, talking to you about the importance of connection groups because the number one thing we do is fellowship. And that's not just hang out and talk about fantasy football. That is really being intimate with one another. That's sharing hurts. That's encouraging one another to good work. It's building up one another. Our ladies are planning a game night. You might say, well, preacher, that's not very spiritual. I know. I didn't plan it. Blame. No, I'm just kidding. Man. We are going to talk when I get home today. <laughs> but part of it is just those ladies gathering together for fellowship. And that's important. Because we might know the truth of God's word. We might have a relationship with God. But man, someone we, sometimes we just need someone to put their arm around us. To cry with us. To pray for us to encourage us, to let us know that we're not alone. And this is the importance of what it means. We've got to abide and be in fellowship with Jesus Christ, but we do that so that we can be in fellowship with one another. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to really consider signing up and being a part of our connection groups. Not because we have some goal of how many people we want to get involved in that, but really so that you can be encouraged and you can consider how to encourage others. And as we do, we grow 
in our abiding with Jesus Christ. So we've got several connection groups out there. There's some different tables. We've got five groups right now that we're starting with. Uh, we've got groups meeting on Sunday, a group meeting on Monday, a group meeting on Tuesday, a group meeting on Wednesday, and a group meeting on Saturday. So we're not hitting Thursday and Friday. And some of those are for ladies, and some of those are for young people, and you can kind of see what, what's available there. And, and you know what my prayer is? My prayer is that we've got to start some more because we have people excited about meeting together and growing in their faith and encouraging one another to grow in their faith. So I just want to be an encouragement to you today. Are you abiding in Jesus? Man, if you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no more important conversation that I could have than to talk to you after this service about what that means. And I would love to talk to you about what it means to, to abide in Jesus. And you might say, well, preacher, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm abiding in him. Are you loving one another? Are you involved with others in, in, in real biblical fellowship? Let us consider one another to encourage one another to love and good works. Let's pray today. God, we thank you so much for your love for us, your goodness to us. And God, I pray that we would seek to share and show that love to one another. That we would seek, we would consider, think about how we could encourage others in your love to stir up in them good works and the love that you have for them. God, I pray that you would help us as a people to abide in you and to have real biblical fellowship with one another. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.